Gold prices to hit 2200 and a dramatic outperformance awaits silver in 2024 from UBS. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics as we take a look inside the silver world today with silver sitting around $22.5 and a lot on the horizon for this year and some interesting comments out there about the silver space, even from CNBC and some of the banks, no less. So we will dig into that as well as some of the trends that are going on with the silver equities. Uh, not the easiest time in the gold or silver equities markets, but fortunately, I'm joined by someone who is very much an expert on that topic to dig through all of these things. And Steve Cope of Silver Viper Minerals, thanks again for joining me as always. Good to see you. And how are you doing today? Doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me. Always, uh, always fun to dig in what we can here on a monthly basis into what's happening. Yeah, well, so far, it's interesting. We had that rally Towards the end of 2023, pushing prices higher, have seen a reversal of that. Gold hanging in there above 2000 bucks. Silver, a little bit lower than the start of the year. Maybe uh, people a little perplexed by that, especially with some of the Federal Reserve events like expiration of BTFP and getting low on that reverse repo facility, leaving a lot of people wondering how they're going to handle that, when the rate cuts will come. Obviously, people selling off the gold or algorithms selling off the gold and silver market after Jerome Powell didn't confirm we're going to get rate cuts in March, whether it's March, May, or sometime over the summer. I think can be helpful taking a longer term look at this. But Steve, fortunately, uh, to start off with today, we did this was actually on CNBC, published on Sunday. Maybe hoping no one would catch this one in. Read it, but we have gold prices to hit 2200 and a dramatic outperformance awaits silver in 2024. Again, this isn't coming from you or I or, or someone in the community, but from UBS talking about a lot of the same things that we've been talking about here. They're focusing on the expectation that the Fed is going to start cutting rates. Um, perhaps you could touch on that because we... We saw some big rallies on some of the Fed days back in November and December when it was penciled in that there would be the rate cuts in their summary of the economic projections. And we have seen gold and silver move. I imagine when we finally get that first rate cut, we will see some more positive movement. But any thoughts on the fact that now we're getting UBS talking about some of these things and CNBC spreading the message for them? Well, I, the thing that always gets me the most excited when I see the banks talking about, especially on the silver side, is because, you know, silver is so much controlled by that paper market. And, you know, obviously, we will argue how it's held down when the banks start really, you know, getting excited and thinking things are going to go up. You you start you know, to hope that they finally have positioned themselves, that they're in a position to make money off of a big rise in silver and gold. So that that's always what i take notice especially certain banks that you know oftentimes were the enemy over the years when they start you know saying those things you know maybe that is a start and the hope that we're going to you know have these big run-ups that we see in metals prices and it's the start especially on the silver side i mean silver has been so beat up and held down for so long that it you know we need some joy on that side gold i mean gold is great i don't i mean investment in gold and people putting it into the equities is a different thing but Gold price itself, I mean, consolidating I mean, from the last time we talked and when we were talking in December, and 
the worst thing that can happen is things spike up and they don't consolidate and they don't get strength and then they spike right back down. And so seeing gold, even through this kind of last month of, you know, rhetoric and things coming out, better jobs, numbers, different things that, you know, for whatever reason, move the needle on a given day, even though they shouldn't for gold prices, seeing it consolidate and hold that, that 2000 number and really showing strength over 2000 now, right, getting ready for that next breakout, whether it's, you know, what UBS is saying there, you know, pushing into 2200 or higher or whatever the number goes to, I, you know, gold is, it's a great looking chart. It's been a great looking chart over the last five to 10 years. That is, in a, it's been in a bull market. The problem is the equities have absolutely not been in a bull market. And, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me when you're looking at a chart like that on the gold side and you see, Gold companies now at these prices starting to have record revenues and record profits. Why are people not pouring their money back into these equities? I mean, I'm not even coming down as far as ours, you know, not coming down to the junior market, which is even more beat up, but just start planning your money in the senior producers that are trading at, you know, you know, 50% under their all-time highs and market caps and dividends are going up, you know, their profits are going up. There's no reason that that space shouldn't be seeing a lot of investment from those generalist funds who's starting to look for, you know, other hot markets and that. And I, and it's going to come and it's going to come very quickly. And, it's, and if gold starts pushing up and silver starts pushing up, you'll really see it come quickly. Yeah. And especially with the gold price staying over that here, here was the long-term chart. So you can certainly see what's happened in the past two decades. Although taking a look back here, we are in November. So close to a $2,000 average price for the fourth quarter. Do you think we're going to start seeing that impacted in some of these gold miner earnings, especially as they come out in the next couple of weeks? And maybe that catches the market's attention where, yes, costs have gone up. I think that's slowed down at least as of a year or two ago. So are you expecting that we'll see that reflected in the earnings in these next quarter or two in particular, and perhaps that could bring some of the investment back. Because at the same time, it's not as if we're seeing the stock market decline, stock market hitting new records in many cases. So still money that is going into stocks. And do you think that uh, some strong earnings here could change that and any expectations on what type of earnings uh, we might see? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple parts to that 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 definitely show problem. The one, the one thing, obviously, yes, when you start seeing revenues go up, dividends go up, you know, people will will pour to that space and start putting money just on that side of it. But the other side of it is, is that when you people are going to start placing their bets on the companies that are going to get taken over by those majors. One of the things that's been happening in our space is the majors are sitting on that cash that they've been printing here the last you know few years, and they're they're hoarding that cash to start acquiring other producers. And again, not talking about companies like ours, but talking about, you know, those mid-tier producers where there's this race and always this battle amongst the senior producers to see who can get the largest and start trying to capture that market share in these down markets. And they're, so they're going to be sitting on all this cash and they're not going to be having to go into debt to, or, or to dilute, to necessarily acquire a lot of these companies, they're going to be sitting on, you know, a billion cash or hundreds of millions of cash, depending on the size of the transaction they're looking at. And they're going to start acquiring additional quality, you know, production, which is going to further increase their, their bottom lines. And if they can do it in a way with free cash where they're not diluting, it's really going to make them look attractive. So 
you should see money start to pump. And some people will start, you know, making their bets on which companies are going to be the ones taken out quickly. And over this near term market, you should see money start to come back into those producers. And then you mentioned the other stock market. And that's probably why, you know, the stock market all time highs, there's still that perception that you invest in gold companies as your hedge against those other investments. So people use that as the reason not to get involved. But when the fundamentals of the companies and the earnings and everything look so good, you really should be investing in them. But people don't because it's still more attractive to invest in an Apple or invest in some of these other companies that they're you know accustomed to investing in. And with the perception that, you know, the stock market always goes straight up and it never goes down. Right. That, that does seem to be a common belief out there these days. And uh, yeah. And then when you mix in, obviously we're, we're talking about the numbers as they are now, whether the first rate cut is in March later on, makes you wonder if you get a similar reaction to what we saw with the pricing in that there will be rate cuts. I mean, if you start getting a 2100, 2150 gold price, I think that's certainly one of the reasons for optimism and could help lead us down that path that you were just mentioning. You know, you wonder where it flows over to silver, although I found this quote that they have highlighted here in a scenario where the Fed is easing, we think silver can do really well. It tends to outperform a move in gold. Again, this is from the UBS strategist. So while we have not seen a, a big move in silver yet, can, can start to see how some of these things could begin to play out because again, not coming from the gold and silver community, but we've, we've talked in the past couple of months, Bank of America had a silver report where they were, you know, they're, they're looking at these inventories. They're looking at the deficits. They're telling their clients about it. So maybe it'll be of a, a bit of a binary break point when we finally see, begin to see that impacted yet. Good to see that the message is getting out there to, to the banking level and, do you think that we will see silver have an outperformance relative to gold at some point as, and maybe it'll just take money coming into the gold side and flowing down in that pattern, like you described before it heads over to silver? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's enough out there, like you say, when the banks are talking about, but there's enough smart people out there that have been following it and know, I mean, one historically silver does, it always outperforms gold on the way up. That's what's been, kind of odd in this cycle so far where gold has been pushing new highs and touching you know new highs over the last couple of years a few years and silver is still sitting there you know at 50 percent or less than 50 percent now of its all-time high and so not seeing silver trade with gold yet on the way up through you know like i said i would consider that gold has been in a bull market as itself so and then you can tie that into what you're saying with the supply and that's what's even more baffling this time around is Silver is still on the monetary side tied to gold and should outperform it. But now you've got this massive amount on the industrial side that should be making silver that much stronger, where we are going through all that surplus of silver. We're producing less and less silver a year, consuming more than what we're producing. You've got you know increased pressure still to add solar panels, to add electric vehicles, the infrastructure that's required around them. And yet silver's trading at less than 50% of its all-time high. And that just doesn't tie in but it goes back to the comment from earlier that we know that that silver price is controlled more on the paper market than it is based off the physical market itself which is why through a lot of this you've seen you know that the purchasing of silver where we have 30 plus percent premiums to buy your physical silver over above and spot because there is such a disconnect between the paper market 
and that physical market as far as what you you know you need to get by and what your what your target of your investment is and how the price of silver is controlled. Yeah, and one other thing that came out that would like to get your opinion on. Obviously, we've talked about the the deficit in the silver market quite a bit, and apparently, the USGS that comments on the reserves. They showed that there was a significant increase in silver reserves, particularly coming from Poland and Russia. And we'll pull the chart up here. Although perhaps you could just explain for people where you have reserves. So the silver is identified, yet some of the challenges of getting those reserves into actual physical silver out of the ground how much of that do you think will happen with the the price where it is? Because I I don't know how many people have seen this new report from the USGS, but not not exactly as straightforward as just because they're reserves, then we're able to get them. You still have that pricing component of whether they're economical and anything that you could share on that to help explain people what they're looking at. Well, one of the other the other big ones that always scares me when it's a country like Russia or some of those that are increasing reserves is their reporting requirements and how they calculate reserves is very different. You know, we in Canada and Australia and the U.S. If you're a, if you're a, mar a company that's doing that exploration and you're based here, which you know you're, there's not a lot of companies based that more of in North America that are increasing their reserves in Russia right now. Um, we have to report to 43101 requirements or or the equivalent in you know Australia or in the US. Russia and the rules that they have for their companies and how they report reserves is wild. <laughs> it is it would absolutely shock people with how they're allowed to calculate. You know, we have a they you know they have a category it wouldn't make reserve category, but they have a category that says we have a mine here and there's a mine 100k away, well everything in between could be mineralized. So let's have that that's a that's a inventory category of mineralization that they're allowed to report and talk about which we you know we would get crucified you know, oh there's 100k of my like mineral there they you know their reserves they still obviously to get up to reserves have to do some drilling and proving but they're the the requirements and the oversight over it is non-existent compared to what we deal with here in north america so coming up with that number and it being legit i mean again i'm i'm always going to be concerned and Poland, I mean, I don't know much about Poland for mining. I mean, there's probably a big new deposit there. I'd have to go back and look at that, but I'm not familiar with Poland and their rules, but I'd be more concerned that they're like Russia more than they're like North America as far as how they report. And then you get into like what you've mentioned on it. You know, is it economic? Is it ever going to make the light of day? I mean, we've got, we've got North American companies that have large reserves of silver massive amount deposits that are never going to get mined pan american silver the navidad deposit you know that's sitting it's it's huge but you're in you're in a political situation in that part of argentina that you know they've always said you're not gonna we're not gonna permit you to mine this you know similar another you know you've got other pan american deposits that they acquired that they're trying to work through community relations so at what point even though you've got reserves there how far is it going to go before that ever gets mined you know on the gold side you look up at um I'm drawing a blank, but you've got the massive one that they've shut down. That's the largest salmon river in the U.S. and never going to be mined. You know, he's sitting with a massive resource. So just because you have reserves and resources on a lot of these things, like you say, you need politically everything to line up to be in a safe jurisdiction that's actually going to let you mine it. You know, and then how much of the reserves and resources are actually going to be mined? Because 
you know, inevitably a lot of times a lot less is mine than what's actually sitting there in the resource or reserve, you know, reserve by our standards should be more, most of your reserves should all get mined out, but, but it's tough and there's lots of different factors. And then there's the price of metals and the timing and how much do you lose into your low grade stockpiles. And, and there's lots to go into it that keeps that number a lot lower than, than what, you know, if you, like you say, it's never even going to be close to a hundred percent of that mine. Yeah, and as that's happening, I'll pull up the latest numbers from Silver Institute, where I guess in uh, about two more months, we'll get the official 2023 numbers. But here, as you can see, the market imbalance, even with that increase in reserves, still 140 million ounce deficit last year. And it's actually interesting, if you factor in the ETFs as well, we have a deficit going back five years, which has had some pretty substantial chunks here. I know some people like just the market balance versus including the ETFs. Um, so a couple of different ways to look at it. Although one last one, I just did want to pass by. Not sure if you saw this, but here we have ECB asking some lenders to monitor social media for early signs of bank runs, which... I would say does not inspire particular confidence in the banking system. We've also heard a lot about the issues in commercial real estate over the past year and that there's still a lot set to be rolled over. And this was last Wednesday, regional bank stocks sold off hard when New York Community Bank Corp posted a $185 million loss uh, to cover two soured loans in the commercial real estate space. So the idea that the Fed is in smooth sailing territory it seems to be getting a little bit more difficult to imagine and say these perhaps as some of the reasons supporting why not only the Fed is saying interest rate cuts or we're saying, in saying interest rate cuts, but that you can see some of the actual drivers behind that that might lead to such a thing. Yeah. Well, at least say you're, you're going to have a run. You're going to have more and more pressure on the U.S. dollar. Moving forward as rate cuts start, obviously, I mean, that makes the treasury, everything else more attractive, it makes it less attractive to invest in the US dollar. It's been, you know, hovering in that range, you know, lately and had a little rebound, you know, as we've seen some more pressure on gold and silver. But like I say, gold's been holding even into a market here where for a lot of the last, you know, from January here where the US dollar index has been going up, you know, versus, you know, how it was getting hit pretty hard with the rate cut expectations, you know, November, December. I just go back. I still go back. Like I never at one point from Jan from December, November said there was going to be rate cuts in the first quarter of this year. So I don't know where this massive expectation came that we were going to somehow get this rate cut even quicker into March. Like I've been saying for six plus months, it's going to be in Q2. It's going to be in Q2. It's going to be in Q2. And then people, you know, I don't know. I don't know where that, that rhetoric came from that we should be getting hit because, oh, they're not going to cut rates in March. It may happen in June. I mean, like who cares? It's, when you're investing in this space, you're looking on a macro scale and it's over a long term. And we are fully expecting and like everyone and including, you know, Powell himself, that we're going to be in a rate cut environment for years now. And so let's focus on that because gold and silver have always been long term investments. They're not it's not an investment that you're supposed to trade. You're not supposed to day trade the equities and move in and out of positions. This is an investment that's always been a long term thesis. It's how you make money in this space. If you were invested in gold over the last, you know, 20 years, looking at that chart, you're really happy. You know, it's been a very safe investment. It's been a very solid investment and you've done very well. 
you know, now silver, you've got this, you know, been depreciated. We know it's going to go on a run. Now sit on silver for long term and you're going to do fine. Pick a price you want to sell at and then jump out of it if that's what you want to do. But really, you know, we're all doing it because we're holding on to it and we believe we want that silver and that gold to back, you know, our other investments and our other exposure that we have to all the other crap that's going on in the world. Yeah, I think that's well phrased and... Obviously, it's hard when you're in a market where you're seeing the bear cycle, although to the degree if you're looking for something longer term, trying to position yourself when prices are lower rather than after you've already had the move. Obviously, that's the thing that I would suggest for people to keep in mind as they're looking at some of these things and look at the things that are ahead and then decide what feels right to you on uh, your own individual basis. And Steve, perhaps the last thing to cover... Uh, Obviously, you've discussed the conditions that we're looking at, gold and silver and the mining space. Um, so not the easiest environment to work in, but perhaps you could update us. We've had a few things going on at Silver Viper in the last couple months and uh, could tell us how that's been going and also how it affects the plans going forward and where you're at right now. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we just, we're at the conference here in Vancouver and mingling and everyone's in the same boat. Like, this is, this is a tough market. There's very few companies that are, you know, going out and running drill programs right now. Where we were able to raise some money here in the last little bit, you know, the company is fine. We're we're sitting, we're waiting. We we need to get into a better market. We've seen, you know, some of our the peer companies that we like, you know, that we have a lot of faith in, and and seeing the drill results they put out, and the stock gets hammered for it. So. You know, we're we're being cautious. We're moving forward. We're continuing to advance the asset. We're gonna we're just waiting for the timing on a drill program to when we think, you know, we can start one as we're coming into a market. And hopefully that's, you know, from what we've talked about on this call, I'd be aiming to try and get that going in Q2. Um, we'll need to raise some more capital to do that, but in the interim, you know, we're fine and continue to work. I just, I don't see this, this market, you know, normally we don't have markets to go this long and our, and a space get beat up for as long as this has. So, I mean, when you're looking at companies like silver Viper or other peer groups, like look at, Look at the resource, look at the quality, look at the jurisdiction of the asset and, you know, start checking off all those boxes. And then you look at the valuation from one, not only where the company has been in the past, but just basic, basic evaluations on here's this many ounces. What is an ounce of gold or an ounce of silver trade at in the ground based on, you know, is it a premium? Is it less based on jurisdiction management grade grade versus the other you know projects in that area? And our company checks off all those boxes. We're ahead of the curve. We should be trading at a premium on our ounces. And we're trading at such a heavy discount just on our existing resource ounces that we already have, never mind what we know we've added from drilling since our last resource, and the potential of all the new targets on the project. And this company is so heavily undervalued that, like you say, if you want to be a contrarian investor, which is what everyone should be, you shouldn't start investing in things as they go up because you never know. You know normally, you're too late to the party. These are the companies you should be looking at or and a, of a percentage of your portfolio you should be looking at the place because these are the type of companies that have those 10x, 20x, 30x type gains on a, on an asset. You can buy our stock right now at eight cents, seven and a half cents at, with, you know, probably a million ounces in a resource. We have officially 700,000 gold equivalent ounces, but with the drilling we've already done, I wouldn't be surprised if we were already over a million. And that was done at a much lower gold, gold price. So, and 60% of our, our resources in gold. So again, I mean, I think these, the investments in companies like ours should be essential to anyone that wants exposure to gold and silver, invest in the producers, invest in, you know, the development companies, but 
a percentage should be in these and you're going to do really well. You just have to be patient. Yeah. And Steve, in the time while you're waiting to get back out there and drill, uh, what parts of the project can you move forward? I know also you've been talking about an updated resource estimate and to what degree can you move things forward even when you're in this situation in the current environment and, and waiting a little bit on the market? Yeah. I mean, ours, what we've done when we're not drilling is we have a very, very large land package here. And a lot of this land package has never been mapped. It's never been sampled. It's never had anything done on it. And so our team has been really, you know, taking a step back from drilling. We've started to go out, map, sample, send stuff off to the lab for testing. You know, we've had some extremely high grade surface results for our project in other areas at El Oriental, at um, El Molino, you know, the team continues to find new targets that we think, you know, we're getting drill ready for when we do get a program going and start expanding that program to go make new discoveries like we made at El Ruby. El Molino will be the first one that gets tested, you know, sitting two kilometers east of El Ruby in another, you know, where all these breadth of structures are coming together, which is our high grade structure. Expanding El Ruby from, you know, the start of El Ruby there, you see on that image to El Ruby North, that's a two kilometer long plateau. And we see mineralization all the way in between. And this is a north-south running trend. So there's should be more mineralization and more deposit there. Moving south into Macho Libre area, that's a highly prolific area. We found some old new old workings there that we previously never knew about that, again, sampled some very high-grade material in and around those workings in the same regional structure. It's it's a target-rich project. For us, it's just you got to spend that hours. you got to get the guys out hiking and walking and going around and finding those areas where you get outcrop where you get these solicited dice getting sampling on it trying to understand the system you know this eastern perspective trend has never really been explored so that's where el molino becomes very very interesting here it's i mean that image it was still called el ruby east but we've that that area is called el molino now in our newer images and that is our number one exploration target by far you can see just on that that's silver in the soil sampling at surface there and if you compare it to El Ruby, it lights up and is even larger looking than what El Ruby was. And El Ruby has been our main event. So again, a very prolific part of the project. It's got a lot of breccia structures that come together. And again, our breccia structures are kind of structures that we end up seeing our kilogram plus silver numbers with high grade gold. And so seeing them all kind of congregate in that area, even more so than we see at El Ruby is, is very interesting in an area that we need to spend, you know, a lot of time exploring moving forward. Well, I think that's a good way to approach it. Obviously, there are the market dynamics that factor in that we don't have control over, but just continuing to take advantage of that time and move things forward in the areas that you can, obviously, is what we have to be focused on sometimes when we're in a bear market, but um, seems like there's still a lot to be looking forward to as we do get to that point. And might add that you can find more about Silver Viper Minerals at silverviperminerals.com and hit the contact tab if you do have questions for Steve about the project. And uh, certainly we'll look forward to continuing to discuss this as the months roll by here, hopefully soon in a little bit of a better environment. But Steve, appreciate you laying things out as always and giving some insight into the different things that are happening. And Thanks for joining me today, and we will catch up with you again next month. Sounds good, Chris. Always a pleasure.